Yeah, maybe, huh? So happy Mother's Day to y'all. You guys good? Is this, what does this do? Make the congregation disappear or what? If they, if they don't listen, you kind of zap them and they're gone? Uh, do I throw it? Is it a surprise? Come on, John, come get this thing. Yo, see, can you still catch? Oh, look at that. Let's hear it for your pastor. He's incredible. Yeah, so, so happy Mother's Day. I, I, Linda, my wife, I love her to pieces. She is over at Maranatha Church in McHenry speaking this morning to mom. So that's cool. And I'm up here, and this is cool. So I was thinking about my mom today, Mother's Day. How can you not think about your mother, right? And so I was thinking she's with Christ. And Linda's mom is with Christ. And I love them both dearly. I miss them both. Linda's mom was one of my greatest encouragers. Uh, she'd always say, you're going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. God's using you. And I love to please her. She loved those little jelly uh, spice drop things. You ever eat those things? It's too much sugar. Like she, she loved them. I mean, it was like little piggy, you know, I was just crazy. I would get a bag, and I, she'd be upstairs in her room, and I would sneak up there, and then I'd walk over and kind of lay them on the table. She'd be taking a nap. She'd open her eyes, and she'd go, oh, I just love you. And I'd say, ah, get sugared up, Ma, get sugared up. She also loved ice cream. Who loves ice cream? So I love it, but I can't eat it. I've got diabetes. I, once in a while, I sneak, you know. So I would, there was an ice cream shop. She lived in Georgia. There was an ice cream shop down the street, and I'd go get her a, a big sundae, whipped cream and chocolate on top, everything. And then same thing, she'd be taking a nap, sleeping, and I'd walk up and just, like, stick it there right in front of her on her tray. And then I'd stick behind her, get behind her and tap her on her shoulder. And she'd open her eyes, and just like a little kid, she'd go, and then she'd be like this, give it to me. You know, she said, I just love you. I said, Mom, I love you. You've always been such an encouragement to me, and I love to please you if I can. My mom, I call my mom the righteous rascal. You like that? Can you say it? Righteous rascal. You get your tongues going this morning, you know, for those brunches and those lunches later on, those big meals. All you guys are going to be cooking stuff for your girls, right? For your moms, whatever, grilling, doing something. My mom was a righteous rascal. She was righteous in Christ, but in her flesh, she's a rascal. She was just, she could be just a mess. I actually have my shirt untucked, thinking about my mom in heaven and you know, not that she's looking down on me. I don't know how that all works. There's deep mysteries about all of that. But I was in the bathroom looking at my shirt going, man, Mom would really like me to tuck it in. Would you like it, like it in, Ma? And then I heard she said, yes. And I'm like, that's weird. Did that come out of the urinal or what? What was that? So I tucked it in. I said, how does this look? I got my hair cut. From my mother, she wanted me to get my hair cut, and you know, I just, I, she, you know, you just, it's a weird thing how you want to please them. When I was a little boy, I loved, I could hardly do it. I loved vacuuming for her. You know, again, I was a little guy, but I'd get that thing out of the closet and I'd stumble with it and fall and vacuum my head and all kinds of stuff, but she just loved it or that I would try to please her. I loved doing dishes. She didn't have a dishwasher. And so I loved going in there and after supper, just trying to get in there and do dishes for her. I loved to please her. I just really did. We love to please people sometimes even ourselves, most of the time. 
I remember her 80th birthday. We were down in Kansas. She was in Kansas. And she loved Starbucks. I don't know why, but she did. So we took her to Starbucks on her 80th birthday downtown at the plaza. And it was just packed with people. Not for her, but it was, you know. It was in there. The place was packed. I don't know, 50, 60 people. It was a huge Starbucks. So as I ordered her drinks, she liked a big old foo-foo latte thing with all the whipped cream and all the stuff that has 5,000 calories, ladies. It does, in general, lay at 5,000. So I got that for her, you know, and she was standing next to me. And I thought, I know she'd love this. So I, I just said, hey, y'all. And I stopped and looked like, what? And I said, it's my mother's 80th birthday. And she kicked me. You know, there's the, there's the rascal, right? And I said, would you all join me in just wishing her, this would really please her, y'all, just singing to my mom, her name is Jody. just sing happy birthday, and they just broke out singing happy birthday, you know, and she got tears in her eyes and came down, and I said, I've done it again, I love it. And she gave me a big hug and said, I just love you, and uh, you know, she never said, I love it that you try to please me, but I love the last year of her life. She loved it when I would call her. And I tried to call her the last year every day. I called her on the phone from McHenry to Kansas, you know, and talked to her. And I would pray with her every day. Not boasting, but I wanted to please her. She loved it that together, you know, we just came before the Lord. And then I would just thank God for her and her love for me and her ministry in my life. I may have heard Jesus for the first time from my mother's lips. That name, that wonderful name, mystery, you know. And so I pray with her, and then I get done, say, Ma, I really love you. And I would just thank Jesus for her. And then she would say, thank you so much for the good prayer in my life. I, lo I love my mom. love my mother-in-law. I love pleasing my wife. She's been a good mom and a good grandma. They call her the Ma, you know, our grandsons. And I love pleasing her. And she loves chocolate, so I get her chocolate. Dark. She loves it. She loves flowers. I got her some roses and one for each of the guys and got her. She, she loves that. Today, when we're through, we're going to meet, go on a little date. I'm taking her down to Chicago. We grew up there in her city, going to Logan Square, going to get a hot dog, going to sit in an old coffee shop and just look at each other and say, look at that. Look at 52 years of marriage. Is that incredible or what? Is that unbelievable? And it's all because I pleased her and kept her happy. No, 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 no. It's all because of, say the word grace. grace. That's it, man, God's favor. And so we love to please people. I love pleasing myself. When I was a little boy, I was a rascal, not righteous yet, just a rascal. And I'd go off to Bible camp, believe it or not, Bible camp, and I'd go to that camp, and one of the things I loved to do to please myself and torture others was, you know, the girls had their little cabins. I was probably 9, 10, 11 years old. They, we had our cabins as boys. But there was a big swamp, and in the swamp were huge bullfrogs. I mean, big ones. Like, they could eat you. And so I would get, my buddies and I, we'd go get those babies, you know, and then we would just, we'd take them at night. We'd sneak them into the girls' cabins, at night, well, of course, we could open the door, lights would be out, and we'd throw them in. I mean, we you just whip the frogs in, man. Their little bodies would go all over the place, you know? You could, and then all of a sudden, you'd hear the little girls just screaming. 
And I loved it. It pleased me. It gave me a thrill. It made me happy. It brought joy to this little unrighteous rascal. So we love to please. We love to please people, husbands, wives, moms, dads, teachers, whatever, bosses, authorities, sometimes. And we love to please ourselves. But ultimately, the one that we should, and you knew I was kind of going to get there, we love to please more than anybody is our God. Yahweh, Jehovah Jireh. Provision, God of provision. Jehovah Nisi, or the God of love and his banner over us. Jehovah Tishbeath, the warlord of the universe. He wins, always wins, and he's won. Jehovah Shalom, our great God of peace. And so we love to please him, and that's a big issue in all of our lives. We have ambitions, we have goals. We have issues that we want to take care of in our lives and achieve and be successful. But the greatest ambition, just kind of follow this carefully now, the greatest ambition in this life or the next life, the greatest ambition is pleasing God. Pleasing God is the greatest ambition. And for every Christian, it should be the only true ambition in their lives. You're saying, wait a minute, I can't have any other ambitions? Well, you can have some sub-ambitions. But pleasing God, to bring delight to God's heart, to bring joy to his heart, a smile on our Father's face, pleasing God is the greatest ambition and should be the only true ambition for every Christian's life. Let me say it this way, for every true Christian's life. And that's a big statement. I'll give it to you again. Pleasing God is the greatest ambition and should be the only true ambition for every true Christian's life. So that's kind of what we're talking about. God help us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this moment. Thank you for this day. Thanks for the privilege to worship you. Guide my lips. Guide our minds. Holy Spirit, meet with us. Keep us from being distracted. Encourage our hearts. Comfort. Challenge us however you sovereignly choose to do this. And we ask it, Christ, in your name. Amen. If you got your Bibles, open to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 5. So I don't know if they throw it on the screen. You got your phones, Bibles, tablets, whatever you guys use. So 2 Corinthians chapter, we're gonna go to we're gonna go to chapter 5, and we're gonna look at this. I'm gonna read, I was thinking about reading all of chapter 4, and I did all of chapter 5, and I thought, well, maybe, maybe not. So we're gonna land here, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1. It is written by the great apostle Paul. The lover and the one who really wanted to please is God. Why? Because he had been transformed by the favor of God. He had been knocked on his gluteus, minimus maximus, on the road to Damascus, and grace transformed his life. Took him from a killer of Christians to one who proclaimed the gospel powerfully, and he was forever grateful. And so pleasing God was his everything. And he writes about it to the Corinthians. The Corinthians were kind of 
Or they were righteous rascals. And there were some who were righteous and rascals. There were some who were just unrighteous. And, or there were some who were just rascals. But he writes this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if the tent which is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life, of the real deal, real life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Let me have your eyes for just a moment. The Christian life is a life of faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. You want to please God? Faith. You get saved through faith. Grace, faith. Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone. And he wants us to live on our journey of sanctification by faith. Not understanding, not getting it all, but trusting. That pleases God. Now all of us, you know, we're, oh yes, amen, yeah, whoa. And that is probably the hardest thing to do in life. To walk the unknown and just go, God's got this. Because our rascal part of us just goes, yeah. He goes on and he says this. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from this body and at home with the Lord. Then he says this. Here it is. So whether we are at home or away, we make it. We work at it. We go after it. We make it our aim. Ambitio in the Latin We make it our ambition, the one, the only, to please him, to delight his heart. And he goes, why? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Paul struggled, he sweat, he bled, he's going to be beheaded. He preached, people struggled with him. He loved people, he was thrown in prisons. But the ambition, the whole goal of his life as a believer, and people say, well, that's a missionary or that's a pastor. No, it's all every one of us. Every one of us who are righteous in Christ and rascals being perfected in our flesh. It's all of us. All of us have this, whether we are at home here in this earth or away with Christ someday. We make it. We work at it. We're going we're gonna to go after it. Our ambition to please him or that he would delight in us. That's all that mattered to him. He didn't want to be a man pleaser. He wanted to be a God pleaser. He wanted to be a man pleaser. He wanted to be a God pleaser. And today, it is, it's a hard thing to do, boy. I tell you what. Even when I speak different places, you know, I'm like, who's my crowd? What's my crowd like? What do I need to say so they'll like me and I please them? 
I don't want to challenge him too much. I don't want to confront him too much. Maybe I should just pour on the love, pour on the love, and just make them feel good so they all go, oh, stinking. Let's have that guy back because we felt so good when we walked out. I struggle with being a man pleaser. Paul struggled, but he said we make it our ambition. The greatest. Pleasing God's the, the greatest. It's the only true ambition of the true Christian's life. Do what makes God delight in his children. And his parents, you guys, or grandpa and grandmas, whatever you are, aunts and uncles, whatever, you know that our parents, your parents, or whatever, his parents, you love it when your children just go out where they really want to please you. Maybe in some of you this morning as moms, you know, you got a little special thing and it just tickled your head and your heart and pleased you. And it's like they thought of me. They worked at this. They made it their ambition to please. Maybe some of you moms got breakfast in bed and you're like, oh, my goodness. And you got your favorite coffee, your chocolate, whatever it is. And it's like somebody thought about this and worked at it. Our God loves that when his children do this. Love that. He loves that. So, first of all, we're going to talk about pleasing and that ambition, pleasing God, and what's that ambition look like. But first of all, let's talk about what it is not. Let's go after the number one, what it is not. I know you've been dealing with this because Pastor John and I get together, you know, over in Lake Geneva and have some coffee occasionally. And he's been telling me that you all have been going through this thing on a la carte Christianity. Have you heard that phrase? Can you say it back to me? Oh my goodness, you know that phrase. You know what a la carte is, right? You get to pick and choose and pick and choose and pick and choose and pick and choose. Can you say pick and choose and pick and choose and pick and choose? Come on. Oh, and don't we love that in our humanity, our freedom, freedom of the will? I get to pick and choose and pick and choose and pick and choose. I'll listen, I won't listen, I'll be there, I won't be there. I get to do what I want. Here's the menu of religion, the menu of the faith. I just, I just get to go, I love this, I don't, I love this, I don't. What makes me feel good, I go after it and feel good because I love to please myself. Say it again, a la carte Christianity. Now listen to this. It is self-made. Subjectively self-made. It is self-centered. It is selfish. It is a pseudo form of true biblical Christianity. And you all know what the word pseudo means. Sham. It's a sham. It's a fake. And so, if you're living in the realm of a la carte Christianity, or I am, or other Christians are, guess what? We are, in the eyes of God, not delighting him, and we are shams. We're phonies. Now, it's easy to point the finger at other people and go, oh, that's them. Oh, yeah, that's them. Oh, yeah, that's that lady. Oh, that's that man. They just want to do what they want to do. This morning, we want, you know, this has been very convicting. Pastor John said, hey, could you maybe kind of wrap it up with the exclamation point on this series? And I'm like, oh, dang, it's not going to please the people. Are they not going to like this? That I'm the exclamation point? On Mother's Day once again. <laughs> Jeepers, creepers. Can I tell you another story about a Hallmark movie and kissing in the flakes? 
It's like, my goodness. But this whole a la carte thing, it's pleasing God ambition, what it's not, it's, it's not, it's not this, it's not a la carte. I get to pick and choose from the menu of what God says in his word, that word right there. It is, again, let me just get here to you, you probably, probably heard this. It is, it is self-made subjectively, it's self-centered. It is selfish, it's pseudo, it's not true biblical Christianity, it's a sham, and it is incredibly dangerous. And those of us who are caught up in it, we think we're doing good and we're feeling pretty good about ourselves, and yet it is not biblical but dangerous. I just kind of Googled, you, you, you know, Google. We love Googling. We Google everything. I Google diseases and I Google recipes. And I Google this and I Google that. I live in the world of Google. <laughs> Look at the smiles on your Google faces. So I Googled, you know, a la carte Christianity. I'm like, there can't be such a thing. Oh, my goodness. The sermons that came up were incredible. And one of them was the eight dangers of a la carte Christianity. So I read it. Man, boom! I should have just read it this morning. It's just incredible. It's dangerous. And and here's the deal. Here's the real deal. It is deceptive because we feel good about it and we drift in the process of it closer to the cliff of the world's thinking and it is dangerous and destructive. There was a guy in the Bible named Demas. He was a buddy of Paul's. And in 2 Timothy, if you want to turn to it, just a brief mention of him. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and verse, well, there's a couple places. He was a buddy of Paul's. He worked. Paul called him a worker. And they were partners in ministry. But he was caught up in a la carte Christianity. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9, Paul writes to Timothy and says, Do your best. Timothy, to come to me soon for Demas, whose name in the Greek means lover of worldly things. Here's a partner for Demas in love with this present world. Has deserted, katalepo in the Greek, which means he left me in the lurch. He's abandoned me. He's caught up in what makes him feel good. He has walked away from the battle for the gospel. He's left me and he's gone. He's gone off. He loves this present world. The danger is a la carte Christianity slowly moves us and moves us and moves us away from the accountability of true biblical Christianity and moves us closer to the precipice of spiritual ruin. And yet all the time, we're feeling pretty good about it. So I don't know if you're there at all. We all struggle with it. Come on, face it. We all struggle with it. We pick and choose, pick and choose. You know, we love, sometimes we love menus like that. Go to a restaurant, we pay, we love it. You know, look at the choices. And sometimes there's so many, it's overwhelming. And sometimes churches get caught up in, man, we're just going to fill our congregations with so many choices. And sometimes that's a problem, way a problem. So let's talk about what the true pleasing God ambition Christianity is. What is that, to please God? 
One of the old dead guys, you know I love reading old dead guys. One of the old dead guys says this, this, um, this true Christianity that Paul's aiming at and teaching and pleasing God Christianity, he said, it is a familiar truth that every Christian's overriding purpose must be to glorify God. Everything we say and do, our relationship with others, to use, uh, to use we make of the gifts, what we make of the gifts, God gives us gifts. Use those, use the opportunities God gives us. Even our enduring of adverse situations and human hostility must be managed to give honor to God. You see, the aim is to give honor. Jesus did not leave to live to please himself, but he lived to please the Father and to please others. Ultimately, his Father. In the the mystery of the hypostatic union, which always blows all of our minds, fully God, fully man, pleasing the Father. It's all that mattered to him. I'm sure you've heard this word in the last few weeks, obedience. Another old dead guy says this, Linsky says, our supreme concern about pleasing God and this ambition, which should be the only one for us, is that he, God, would be ever be pleased with us. So it's almost like, it's almost overwhelming, right? You just kind of think through, does this please God? Does this please God? Am I supposed to do that all day long, ask that question? Maybe. What do you think? You know, does this please God in my occupation? Does this please God? How I talk to my wife, talk to my husband, talk to my children, how I talk to my boss, how I drive my car, does this please God? Are we supposed to do that daily? Is that the ambition? Or do we just check out and go back to a la carte and, you know, when we feel good, we kind of do it. Or should we be that concerned? See, an ambition, you're consumed with it. Does this please God? You know, it's like, you know, with Linda, I mean, do I, am I that concerned with, does this please my girl? Does this please her? Is, is she loving this? Is she not loving this? Uh, do I need to be that involved? 2 Corinthians 5, 9, we make it our aim to please him. But the word aim there in the Greek language means to strive relentlessly tirelessly to exhaust ourselves, spend all of our physical and our emotional being on pleasing God. And once again, I just want to make something clear. Oftentimes when, you know, we, we talk about stuff like this, and I tried to, I even tried to justify it going, well, this is about Paul, but Paul's writing to Christians that he loves, and he tells them in chapter 4, this was our struggle, but this is where we've come, and this is what our lives are about, and it should be the same for you, Corinthian Christians, you righteous rascals. That you are constantly asking, you know, am I striving relentlessly to please the one who is bled for me? The word pleasing, well-pleasing, you know, I've already said it means to bring delight to God. And some people say, well, God is self-sufficient. And how do you bring delight to the creator? Well, he's still father. And he loves it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You've heard that too. And, you know, Jesus said, I and the Father will come to you and we'll make our home with you. And we delight in this and we love this. David talks about it all the time through the Psalms. He loves to delight God. And 
We love to do that. That word there, again, please, really has to do with honor. It's, 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 it's the honor of our lives. Listen to how this works. God's honored me through salvation. And as a result, I need to make it my aim to honor him back. Doesn't that make sense? Honor, honor. Honor, honor. Children, obey your parents. Honor your mom and dad. And for Christians, Christians, obey your Papa God. Honor him. Make it your aim. And so, yeah, I think we do need to be consumed. It sounds like a little obsessive, compulsive spiritual behavior. But I think we do need to make it, you know, an issue of our lives. Like, should I wear this, not wear this? Do I dress like this? Do I say this? Do I speak like this? I mean, I, I do. And people will say, well, isn't that getting into legalism? Uh, well, it can. It really can. It, can. it can roll over into legalism. And that's a danger. But I, I, I really believe the Scripture is saying we need to do this. Now, I want to give you three areas that you can wrestle with. Struggle with as righteous rascals. And you could, you could, if you take any kind of notes, you could maybe write this down. So what is it in a very practical sense? Number one, it is loving. Here's the first truth of action in a sense. It is to have loving mind obedience. Got that? See, loving mind obedience delights our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To give your mind to God, that's a hard thing to do. You struggle with your thoughts? They go all over the place? I'm already downtown eating a hot dog. How, how are you guys doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm down with my girl. I'm holding her hand going, man, I just want to kiss her. You know, I mean, she's, she's my girl, man. I mean, we're going to be down there where we romanced, and I walked her through alleys and smooched her. You're going, you smooched her in an alley? Yeah, while the rats were watching. Exactly. How romantic. That's a Hallmark movie, Ian, huh? But it's hard. Here it is, our aim, relentlessly striving, working. Our ambition in a practical way is to have loving mind obedience. <laughs> I mean, it's, that is the hardest thing. Give your mind to God. It's on our jobs. It's on, our, it's on money. It's on, it's on the news. It's on, is Trump going to run again? Is what's going on there? And what's going to happen with Biden? And what's going to happen with Fox and CNN? Our minds and the Packers and Rogers is going crazy. We knew that was going to happen. I mean, our minds are all over the place. He says, give your mind to God. Look, look at what Colossi, he writes to the church in Colossae. This is awesome. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and he says this. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised up with Christ, if you're a righteous rascal, seek, seek the things that are above. He goes on and says where Christ is seated. Seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, set them. Set the channel, set the minds, freeze them. Set, set your minds on things that are above, not on the things of the earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ. So make it, make it your ambition. Pleasing God, how do you do that? Loving mind, obedience. Set your mind on the things above. 
And when they're on the things of earth, it becomes a la carte and you got a problem. My mom had a friend. Her name was Virginia. I still remember her. And she used to come into the house and her neck, she was like this. And she walked like this. And she never lifted her head. So I remember as a little boy, I said, Mom, 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 why, why does Virginia walk like that? Why is her head down? And this is what my mother said. Throughout all of her life, she walked down the streets looking for change on the sidewalks and parking lots. And her head froze. They couldn't unfreeze it. Instead of setting her mind up and seeing the beauty of life, she was consumed with money. And her head froze. And they never got it unfroze. That's how she was in the casket. What a horrible thing. See, a la carte Christianity, it brings us to a point where we, we freeze up. Dangerous. Jesus, Paul writes and says, set your mind on Christ and things above. And look, Linda, Linda told me we were talking about this. She said, you know, when we were first dating, this is really interesting, guys. When we were first dating, you know, I, I, just, I, just, I just wanted this girl. And so we'd be out somewhere eating pizza or whatever, and she said she would watch my eyes and listen carefully to my conversation. Ladies, you know what she, you know what she told me? You know what you're going to tell me? She wanted to see if I had set my mind on her, fixed my mind on her, or when another girl walked by, they were catching my attention. Or my conversation went off on something else instead of our relationship or her. She said, if you had been a, I'm a girl watcher, girl watcher, she said, we'd never be married today. Because it would say to me, you don't really care about me. You don't really love me. I'm just a part of your, your trophies, whatever. You don't have your mind set on me. It is obvious by your eyes and your actions. Pleasing God is all about loving mind obedience, man. He's, he's just he's there, driving your car, planting flowers, whatever it is. I was planting pansies, man. I'm in the pansies, and I'm hanging out with the worms in the pansies, and I'm just loving it. Picking up those little babies going, let's go fish. Praising God to go fish. I mean, just, you know, and you're going, well, you, are you the perfect righteous rascal? No. This morning I was speeding on the way here. I'm going, what the heck is wrong with me? I got to get there to preach. That's a la carte Christianity. It says 45, I don't get there, I don't get there. John will preach, somebody will preach. I don't know who's going to preach. You don't need me. Loving mind obedience. Number two is number second truth of action, loving mouth obedience. Who's got your mouth? James says the mouth and the tongue is dangerous. Right? He talks about you can't muzzle it, can't train it, can't control it. Pleasing God, that ambition is get your mouth under control. Loving mouth obedience. God delights in a mouth that's loving, not stinky breath, spiritual a la carte junk. Doesn't want that. He wants, he wants, I, I love it. As Christians, we, we really struggle with this, baby. Uh, we, we all do. This is a toughie, man, because we, we love to talk. We love to talk about people. We love to talk about, you know, others. Look, look what he says. In Ephesians chapter 
Well, no, I, that's right. I was going to do that. Right. I was going to do that, and I decided to do this because it was. I was thinking about Linda and me and our marriage. And he says this in First Corinthians chapter thirteen, verse one. He writes to the Corinthians again, and he says this about loving mouth. I, if I speak in the tongues of men, my mouth speaks like whoa. Look at this. And of angels, but have not love. Yeah, you've heard this so many times. I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If my mouth is not under control, I'm a nothing. I'm just a big mouth of a la carte junk, which is stinky, vulgar breath to God. In Ephesians, it does say, how should we talk? In the Psalms, when's the last time somebody walked up to you and said, hey, can I just quote Psalm 23 to you? You'd go, what? What are you, nuts? Get away from me, you freak. What if somebody said, hey, you got a minute? I want to quote the book of Romans to you. You'd be, get out of here. Really? That wouldn't encourage your heart? Well, somebody comes up and says, hey, did you see on social media this? You're like, what is it? Let's talk about it. Speak psalms and hymns and spiritual things to one another. I mean, this is painful stuff. I, this is, when I teach this, it convicts the rip out of me. Parents call their kids stupid. I work with so many students, and I've had so many students say, I want to die, I want to commit suicide. My parents call me names. They call me brat, stupid. When are you going to grow up? When are you going to behave? When are you going to get it together? When are you going to be a man? When are you going to be a woman? And husbands to their, you know, wives. Wives to their husbands. Christians to Christians. <laughs> you know, I make it our aim to please God. We have loving mouths. We speak well. I don't do it all the time. Sometimes, you know, as much as I love my girl, I say, Linda, that is so stupid. You're being stupid. She goes, what? I'm stupid. I'm not, I didn't mean that. That was the rascal, the righteous. You're great. <laughs> and sometimes she'll say to me, Chuck, what's wrong with you? That's just ignorant. I'm ignorant. I, that's the rascal. We all do that. But our father delights when we speak well, when our mouths are... Not, you know, people, we gossip, we slander. Linda and I have been so hurt through ministry 40 years. You know where the pain has come the most? Christians who have slandered us, gossiped about us, spread lies, rumors. And our father's got to just, tears of it, just got to weep that we would do this to each other. Pleasing God, greatest ambition, the only true one for true Christians should have in this life. Last one is loving muscle obedience. I love it. Mark chapter 10. I mean, Paul worked his muscles till he just about killed himself. Mark chapter 10, it is a beautiful picture. And one of my, I always say this is one of my favorite passages. It's like the Bible's my favorite passage. Mark chapter 10, his disciples are going crazy like always and they want to be great and they want to do this and occasionally they send their mother to get in there and speak up. You know, moms, you know moms. 
Moms will fight like big, big grizzly bears for their kids, boy. You say, you don't mess with moms. You just just don't do it. And there's a good and a bad to that, right? So once again, Jesus says, so number three is loving muscle obedience. Our Father delights when we give our muscles to him. Look, Look at this. He says this, he says, for, verse 45, for even the Son of Man, now he's been teaching them that the unrighteous rascals just love to serve themselves. Doesn't please Yahweh. Then he says, verse 45, for even the Son of Man, that's him, Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and give us his life, give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve. Now, there are three Greek words for servant, at least. There's more probably, but three that I want you to hear. One is, and we're real familiar with this, doulos. We're all like, oh, doulos, right? Servant of love. I'm a love servant for Jesus. Get that all driven in there. Get a little King James Bible driven through your ear. Make it in your ring and... Why you got that there? Because I'm a love servant for Jesus. But that love is agape love, unconditional love. I want to please him and do whatever I can to serve him with right love, true love. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It means you got to investigate. To please somebody, you got to find out what they really like. And then there's the word diakonos. We all know that one. We, we get deacons. But the real Greek there is that a table waiter. Table waiter. So Jesus said, I'm a table waiter. And that's what we should be. He loves our muscles to serve him. Waiting tables, cleaning up garbage and junk, and just not wanting to be up front. You know, I was just talking to a guy, meeting with Coffer Coffee, and he was talking to a young guy that he's mentoring, and he said, you know, he wants to come out of Bible school, and he wants to be up front, be a pastor, and be real popular. And he said, I told him, you know what you need to do? Learn how to clean the toilets. Learn how to mop the floors. Learn how to go to a hospital and weep with people. It's not about a microphone and lights and a stage and smoke. It's about what Christ did. Wash somebody's stinking feet. And our Father loves. He delights. When that's our aim, we please God. He loves it. I say, when I'm just going to speak somewhere, and I, I know I can be horrible and arrogant, but I say, God, I know you don't need me, but he loves me. Help me to love others. Help me to be like Jesus and see the dirty feet and just, you know, if I never get to speak again, let me serve you the right way with loving, loving muscles that are obedient. Even if I, you know, just put stinking earthworms on hooks for kids at a camp and I never get to get up front again. Just do it. And he tried to teach his boys that. All through his ministry. He wants us to be like that. Well, let's wrap this up. We gotta worship. And we should worship because you know why? It pleases God. He delights in it. It's loving muscle obedience. He loves it when we praise him. Second Corinthians 5, 10 again. Let me read this to you, and then we'll just wrap this up, and y'all can come and we'll sing. Thanks for putting up with me. I'm a mess. I know it, you guys. Um, you'd be so happy to get Pastor John back next week. It's like, get this guy out of here. Mother's Day hammering us, you know, it's like good grief. 
2 Corinthians again, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must, here's the motivation for all of this, Paul says. For we must all, Paul, you, me, everybody, all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, good or evil. Someday I'm not going to stand before you. I'm righteous in Christ. Yeah, I'm not going to stand before him. He's going to go, we're going to expose your life to everybody and let him show you. You see how miserable you are. He's not going to do that. That is not a loving father. A loving friend, Christ, he's not going to do that. But I, it's a mystery, but someday we will be before Christ. Are you going to say, hey, yo, how'd you like my a la carte Christianity? Or maybe, hey, I'm sorry, I know you love me and I'm righteous, Christ, in your works of holiness. I tried to make it my ambition. That doesn't earn you heaven. Just pleases our Father, delights in it. That should be the ambition. The thought of approaching nearer and nearer to seeing the Lord and soon seeing Him face to face makes us ashamed to do anything that is displeasing to Him and should lovingly motivate us to do everything that is well-pleasing to Him. And He delights in that. <laughs> Jonathan used to tell me, Dad, when I was traveling 250 days speaking all over the country, he said, you know, our son, they were home and our boys were just rascals and Matt could be, he's a worship leader now in Asheville, North Carolina. He could be a, just a punk. And he treated Linda really bad at times. And he said, I would get mad against the wall. And he'd say, to, he'd say he put because Jonathan was bigger, put him against the wall and he'd say, Matthew, do you understand that dad is coming home tonight? You're going to see dad face to face. And he'd go, oh, Maybe I should think about it. Father, help us to be pleasing to you, to make that the greatest ambition of our lives, to bring delight to you with loving minds, loving mouths, and loving muscles. <laughs>